The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. So the ADV in ADV Part 2, surprisingly, isn't an acronym. It's an abbreviation for advisor. I guess you learn something new every day. All right. So uh, item 11, code of ethics. Uh, what does that mean? I don't know if I don't know if people are aware of, of the, like every advisory firm needs a code of ethics, and that's actually reviewed by the SEC, et cetera, et cetera. Another thing that I don't know if people are aware of is – Anyone that is sort of a relatively senior level person within a firm or is involved in a client relationship in which investments are involved, they actually have to report on a monthly basis their holdings. Uh, not only that, within the house, a oh, quarterly basis, e- even even within the house as well, like my wife would have to do that as well. Uh, and, and so that's uh, item 11 has all of that stuff baked in. Uh, Ryan, take it away. Yeah, all investment advisors are required to have a code of ethics that governs the conduct of their staff uh, who are in a position to take advantage of their knowledge of what's going on in client accounts for their own benefit to the detriment of those clients. So those code of ethics are going to look at a number of things. Like Alex said, they're going to look at your uh, – if I'm an advisor representative, they're going to look at my personal brokerage accounts. All the securities transactions that I've engaged in, uh, where there's a possibility of of manipulative or or fraudulent conduct on my part. They're also going to look at the people in my family who like live in my household. They would look at my wife's brokerage statements to make sure that I'm not telling her what to do in her account to disadvantage McLean clients. Um, and that's all to basically look for a few things. Am I trading ahead of clients or front running clients? Am I, am I using my knowledge of what's going to take place in client accounts so I could trade my own account first? Okay. Um, or insider trading as well. Um, if you are a client and you're an insider, you're an executive of a publicly traded company. Uh, I may not be able to trade in your company's stock except during specific periods of time under my firm's code of ethics because of the possibility that you as an insider to that company could pass inside information to me and I could trade on the basis of that information. Um, So the code of ethics is really going to be designed to account for those potential risks required me to make certain reports about my securities trading to my employer so that they can supervise and account for those risks and make sure that clients really aren't being taken advantage of by, by me based on my sensitive position, sensitive information that I have access to. And this is something that I, at least McLean takes very seriously. I mean, the code of ethics, and this is where we have, you know, 
more than on one occasion, these sort of yearly reviews, making sure we're up to date with with all the compliance laws where, it, you know, we bring everyone together and, and just go over this over and over. And there's attestations around this. So this part isn't just lip service. I mean, this is where, you know, you're, you're reviewing a firm. This is where you get a sense of the culture as well. I, I, I think it's very, very important. Yeah, they, uh, they also talk about less like material things like can we get or give gifts to clients? Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, the boundaries yeah. there, you know, if you've ever had an advisor that said, no, I can't, you know, fly on your or I, I can't travel with you for this golf retreat because my compliance officer says it's against our code of ethics. You know, that's why, because they shouldn't be taking gifts from clients or yeah. there's a policy against it. Something, like that. And, and not that there's anything wrong with, you know, a, a genuine sort of wanting to give a gift it's just it's, it's just again uh like a chinese wall if you will uh brokerage practices item 11 that's this a long that's a whole page the, what's that about yeah <laughs> yeah this is talking about the the, the firm that's actually going to hold your assets okay um and so in in mclean's case that's going to be td or schwab in a couple weeks uh schwab itself or fidelity yeah, so this is the custodian, uh, effectively. Right, kind of exactly. And the custodian, more often than not, is going to be a broker-dealer. That's why it's the brokerage practices section. So who do we, as an investment advisor, recommend serve as the custodian for your assets? Um, and also, you know, because the custodian is going to hold your assets, more often than not, they're also going to be the firm that transacts uh, for your assets. Um, they're, they're going to be the ones who are placing the trades that are going to the market, looking for the best price in your equities or fixed income trades or ETFs and executing those trades at the best available price, um, depending on where their liquidity sources are. Um, but this is going to generally talk through, these are the custodians we recommend. This is kind of how uh, or what we use to evaluate the services that they provide. And again, here are some conflicts that we have because maybe we receive certain things from these custodians in exchange for recommending them. Uh, maybe we get access to trading software. Maybe we get access to institutional share classes of pooled vehicles, which might be cheaper for our clients than the retail share classes. Um, and a bunch of research, uh, trade support, help desk support, could be a, a ton of different things that advisors receive from their recommended custodians. And that's why I said earlier that almost all, all advisors are going to have some degree of conflict. Because once you're accepted as a, an advisor that's allowed to access Schwab or allowed to access Fidelity, you're going to get those things automatically, right? And, and so almost every advisor at least has a conflict at that level. We recommend a custodian and they give us trading support. They give us trading software, something. Um, but, but this section is talking about those things. Who do we recommend and what do we get in exchange? How do we assess the value of the services they're providing? And what are the conflicts associated with our recommendation? Yeah, no, I, I think so. A comment I'll, I'll make here, a, a couple of them. And that's where... Okay, these are independent registered investment advisors like like a McLean, right? Uh, there's an advantage of being able to engage in three institutional custodial relationships, Schwab, Fidelity, TD, 
Pershing could be another one, et cetera, et cetera. There's these custodians. Goldman Sachs is not doing custody, right? Uh, relative to an advisor with one, like a big box advisor, and I know I'm kind of picking on them a little bit because why not, right? Uh, the, the reality is, is they're, they're just predicated on just using the services within that one institution where we have everything available. As you can make the case that more is available within an advisor, an independent advisory firm, even though it may look like, oh, the, the, these are small time guys. No, that's, that's not the case at all. That, that's the first point. The, the, the second point here is that McLean, as we were growing, we actually had one custodial relationship, TD Ameritrade. Why? Because from a business standpoint, again, it goes back to you don't want to be somebody's biggest client. You don't want to be somebody's first client. You don't want to be somebody's smallest client. You know, that that kind of argument, right? And as you're starting out, it's actually quite difficult for an advisor to really engage with these institutions because they, they don't want to engage an advisor that just has $10 million or something like that. It's just it, the economics don't work out for them. And so we bundled our assets all in TD because we knew them really well. We knew that if we made a, we're at 200 million AUM and we knew that we, we made a call, we're a big client for them. Whereas if we broke it down into $75 million increments, they're not taking our call as fast to solve client problems, exception handling and things like that. So what you may see in the trajectory of a firm is as they're building up, they probably focus on one custodian. And then as they get larger and larger, they splinter it out simply because there's more available to them and they're big enough within each custodian that their calls will be answered to solve your problems. I, I, I think that's the case. Yeah. Do they always offer you stuff to, to, to kind of service you? Yeah, they do. I mean, you, you get sort of software, they provide certain softwares and things like that to better your business that they've created themselves that you use them and then they, they could technically be charging you for that, but they don't. And so that's disclosed here, but I don't know if that would be disclosed here. That's in the, it's not soft dollars. It's just like marketing or, or, or something it's, help or something like that. Yeah. It, it's a non-soft dollar economic benefit. I think there you go. How there I are would... benefits like that. Yeah, and why would you not engage in somebody if there aren't any underlying benefits, you know, that help you service your clients? Right. No, I think that stands to reason. Myself. Okay. Oh, and um, I, you see that that's in the next page, page 12, non-soft dollar research benefits. Uh, anything there other than, yeah, McLean uses, you know, with TD, they, they have a software for rebalancing portfolios. We use that. There's a ticket charge for that, that they cover. And that's, that's about it on, on that one. Uh, sometimes based on the assets that you have with them, there's transaction fees that they waive. You know, things along those lines, and that's stated there. I'm kind of just quickly skimming through here. Ours, anything here that you see within ours that makes sense to bring up? Is there is there like a marketing reimbursement? What would you, what? Let me say it another way. What would you see in somebody's benefit that would make you think, "Hmm, what's this about? This doesn't yeah, look right." Um, you know, uh, a it's tough um, because everything might have a legitimate justification Fair behind enough. it or, but what or would some kind of rationalization. Not, not necessarily saying it's bad or good, but what would be like, hmm, I want to find out more about this. What I, what I would want to find out more about would be something that incentivizes my advisor to turn over my account frequently and incur a lot of trading costs. Um, okay. when it may not, when it may be in their benefit, but not my benefit. 
So that that okay. would be like a soft dollar arrangement where every time they place a trade, $10 comes out of my account to pay for that trading cost. And a dollar of that goes into the advisor's soft dollar account so that they can use that credit basically to buy research from Whatever. the broker. And that's a game. Um, Buying research is what the hell does that even mean? Right, right, right. Um, so that, that would be something that I would be on the lookout for. That's a very clear incentive for the advisor to put my interest aside to cost me money so that they could get something in exchange. Okay. Uh, the next one is brokerage for client referrals. Uh, we were part of that. Uh, and what that is, Schwab, TD, Fidelity, a lot of advisory firms cut their teeth by just focusing 100% of their business on getting referrals from the branch offices and turn, and and converting them into clients because you know at a higher asset level the branch offices can't really service those oh well they can but they 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 can't provide the full level of service that advisors at at you know high net worths can and so they all engaged in referral programs in which a lot of advisors were part of we were we were part of it as well and it, and it's disclosed here although i think that's ending soon Ryan, especially with uh, the merger coming through, but uh, it was it's still active, so we have it, you know, for twenty twenty three. Directed brokerage. What does that mean for our listening audience? Yeah, directed brokerage is typically where the client says, "I don't care who you recommend. My assets are at Interactive Brokers, let's say, and I'm going to keep them there, and that's where they need to stay. I'm not going to go to Fidelity or yeah. Uh, that that's would, it in, in and that's fine. And the reality is, this goes back to discretionary and non-discretionary. We wouldn't even deal with that at McLean. It's just not worth the aggravation. You don't want and 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 keep this in mind if you're a consumer. I'm not saying requesting this is off, but you don't want to be an exception to the workflow of the firm you're going to, because that's where mistakes happen. When you need a special workflow just to deal with your issues. That's how mistakes happen. I, I I can't stress that enough. So if, if somebody if Ryan were to come and say no, but I need my assets at I you know ind- independent broker dealer because whatever I know my cousin's the CEO, I would say get your cousin to give you the name of an advisor that uses them because we, we wouldn't be a good <laughs> client for you. No, it, it's just the reality. No, right. Invariably things go wrong like that, and so it, yeah. you kind of want to avoid that. There's a piece here on trade corrections. That's an interesting concept that I'm not so sure the consumers know about. How does that work? Let's say uh, you tell uh, your client, I make a mistake on your trade, uh, you know, like as opposed to doing 10 shares, I did 100 shares, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Uh, fat finger error. What, what happens? Yeah. Um, the advisor is a fiduciary to the client. And from the SEC's perspective, if the advisor is responsible for a trade error, then the advisor shouldn't be retaining any of the gain. And if there's a loss, should be making the client whole for that loss. So if, if it was a $10 trade or if, if there was a $10 limit on an order and instead you put in a $100 limit and the client incurred whatever amount of, of harm as a result of that error, then the advisor if it was the advisor's fault that the error occurred, the advisor is the one who's going to have to make the client whole for them. And um, I didn't, you know, it didn't, and, and look, if let's say we find this error a month ago, a month later, it can still be fixed. Like the custodians have the ability to fix it. And yeah, if it happens to work in McLean's favor, it goes to charity. If, if Ryan is owed money, we make it right. Now, 
the question to, that I would be asking if I'm a consumer, and I don't think this gets enough play, is errors and emission insurance, which I, I don't technically see it right here. And I don't know if it's somewhere in the ADV, but there's some advisory firms that don't have E&O insurance. Which I think is absolutely scary. crazy. Yeah, they they they're at the they they say, oh no, well, you know, it's I, I don't know what the premiums are. It's fifteen thousand a year, and you know what? If I if I don't have an error of greater than X amount for ten years, I can self fund it. I think that's like people that don't get home insurance because whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I I and I know some major firms that don't have E and O insurance, and I just think it's almost reckless on on a couple of levels because if you're dealing with million dollar minimums. You could have a significant error. I'll, I'll leave yeah. it at that, which I, I just find just mind-boggling. Yeah, and you know there are some regulators that try and address that. I mean, you, you you see it from service providers now also, like Schwab, for example, as a custodian will not work with an advisor oh, unless okay. they have a certain level of errors and emissions coverage. Uh, and I think that's probably going to be something that you'll see kind of spread out throughout. I've always wondered why that's not a requirement, like full stop. Right, right. And, and you know, some states, if you're if the advisor you're working with or considering is a state registered advisor, um, ask them what their net capital requirements are. Because some firms kind of try and place a, a net capital requirement on a firm to make sure that they have adequate funding, they can continue operations, number one. Number two, that if there is a claim against the firm, that there's at least something that they can claim against. Um, <clears throat> but so ask them what their net capital uh, requirements are and you know, maybe see if you can get comfort from that number. Um, if they have custody or if they have discretion, they're probably going to be subject to a much higher net capital requirement than, than not. Um, but that's still not going to be good enough. That, that's not a total substitute for having E&O insurance because those net capital numbers are going to be relatively low. They're going to be in like the twenty five to $50,000 yeah. range compared to a, cover, and, uh, a policy that's going to give you a million dollars of coverage. And, and something, Ryan, we, we didn't say, I think you did it the very first, ep- first episode at this point, uh, which is becoming another arc. Uh, uh, if you're over $100 million, you're registered with the SEC. If you're under $100 million you're reg- in assets, you're registered by the state, just FYI. And so that, that's what he was referring to from, from if you're registered with the state. That's what he means. You know, uh, there's that piece. Uh, okay. And what I'm going to do, right, we're just going to go with this one. And I, I can just up. chop it up myself. Just to, But we, we can just go with it since we, we have a good rhythm right now. Item 13, review of accounts. What is that? This is telling you as the consumer who is responsible for reviewing accounts, when and in response to what events are those reviews conducted. Um, That's basically it. You know, it's usually going to say we have an investment committee or we have management team. They review it on at least a quarterly basis, at least an annual basis, whatever the case may be. They may also look at your account in response to like extreme volatility or a material change to your personal circumstances. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. Yeah. And so this is kind of a tell in terms of going back to my restaurant example, 
how often do they look at this stuff? What do they state? How, how do they, and, and, and in an exam, though, they will reconcile this to see if, it, if it's reality or you're just giving it lip service. So you, you want this. You want this to be very clear and uh, consistent for you because then you know that, okay, this firm is well run, if you will. Is that a fair statement on my part? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, having somebody who's reviewing accounts who is not the person who you meet with every time you, you want to talk about your accounts and who's actually giving the advice, somebody who's a little bit independent of, of the person who actually put, made your account look the way it does. Um, so you have a fresh set of eyes looking at it. It's not just the same person looking at it every time. That's valuable okay. if it's feasible. No, Some firms are just one person. That just doesn't exist. But. Yeah. And look, I, I, I said this once a while back and somebody wrote in and saying that that's not the case all the time. And you know, my, my response was, yeah, you know, you're right. But I, I think sometimes if if you're looking to engage an advisory firm, you want to make sure that there's checks and not checks, uh, that there's some institutional quality behind it. Like uh, to point blank, if anything happens to Ryan – you know, I know that I have two other people within the within his firm that I that I can speak to. Now, if you have an advisor that's a one person shop, and it's a lifestyle practice, and and et cetera, et cetera, I'm not saying that there's that it's it's a bad thing, but you're there's certain things that you cannot de-risk. You know, for your own situation, and that's that it's all contingent on that one person being able to you know, to do everything. And, and that can become problematic. I'm saying it with all due respect to the one person shops and things like that. Because those can work wonderfully and there are a lot of really great and yeah, really exactly. accomplished and, and capable people who do that. Um, just keep just track of their client sure list then. You know, do they have yeah. 500 clients or do they have 40 clients, you know, that kind of thing. That, that's a fair point. Yeah, and, and you as the client need to be comfortable knowing that it, it's a one-person shop. And if you're comfortable with that, then that's awesome. That means you're a good fit for yeah. that shop. And that's another question we didn't ask in the services. Like, uh, it's, it's a fair game to ask them, how many relationships do you manage? I, uh, you know, because yeah, there's only can, so many people an advisor can manage. And so I would definitely ask them that. And if you know, they're managing in the hundreds – and they're one person shop and they're, they're kind of being chintzy about their business. Uh, I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> you know, with, with I, I would that. personally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So item 14, client referrals and other compensation. How, yeah, how so important this is, is this, is this entry? Yeah, it, it could be important uh, for a conflict perspective. This is kind of talking about other areas where McLean, any other firm, fill in the blank firm, might get uh, compensated. Um, so, for example, in this section, we reiterate some of the things we talked about in item 12, the brokerage practices section, for the compensation or, or benefits, rather, that McLean gets from a firm like TD for recommending TD as a custodian. Um, it's also going to talk about you know being in receipt of uh, referral compensation, potentially. Uh, if I refer another, if I refer a client to another investment advisor, and I get ten percent of the advisory fee in exchange for that referral, uh, we might talk about that here. Uh, we might talk about our payment of referral fees here as well. We we pay referral fees to other advisors in exchange for receiving client referrals. Um, yeah, this happens less and less. We used to have referral agreements, like if a CPA sent to somebody 
and things like that. But uh, that I, I think we have legacy ones, but there, there's nothing new. It, it's just it becomes a hassle to keep track of, to be honest with you. And it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just not worth the, the aggravation of, of that. You know, you don't want to get it wrong, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, and here's where we have our Iriba thing, the, the stuff that we get from TD Ameritrade. But I, I think you're going to see dribs and drabs of this from everyone, you know, to some extent. I think you're going to see a lot of repeats between 10 and 14, I think, for a lot of firms, and between 12 and 14. Yeah. Um, reiterating a lot of the same points. Okay. Um, but that's and, yeah, and then 15, we have custody, and we give custody its whole treatment in the, the first episode we did, but uh, what, do you, what would you want to be looking for here? This is where you can find out the exact type of custody that a firm might have. Um, and so a firm that says, like, in, we're going to look at, let's look at the very last sentence in this section. Accordingly, MAMC will follow the safeguards specified by the SEC rather than undergo an annual audit. Um, and so that's telling me as a client, okay, McLean doesn't have the type of custody that the SEC to where the SEC would force them to undergo a surprise annual CPA examination. And so I could say from that, the SEC doesn't think that this is a risky enough type of custody to subject the McLean to that requirement. And so I feel a bit better. Yes, McLean has custody in some capacity, but the SEC says it's not that bad. And so I'm kind of inclined to agree. Yeah. We, that, we, that's we, again, yeah. And there's workflow issues that sometimes you want to, you know, have something that could be considered custody because it just makes it easier. But in terms of handling money, like managing money, you know, there's, there should always be, in my view, a separation, unless it's just a completely different business than than what we're running. But the SEC says you don't need a second set of eyes on yeah. this. As long as you tell us that you're doing this, we don't need somebody else overseeing yeah. your work, which means they don't view it as particularly. Yeah. So effectively, you could say we don't have custody. Uh, investment. Well, this is being recorded. Is that a correct statement on my part? <laughs> well, we, right. we say custody on the part one, I believe, but it's not the type of custody that subjects you to the audit. So it's it's what I perceive yeah. to be like the reduced risk form of custody. Yeah, and, and the ones that subjected to the audit, there could be many business reasons for it. But like I said, we said earlier, whenever you see things go sideways, it's because of that, I, you know, largely that, that you know. Uh, okay, investment discretion. We spoke about that, and we're you know we see the the, the finish line here in our thing. Investment discretion. I, I think we've spoken about it, but you may want to just reiterate real quick here yeah. since we're on this item: limited power of attorney. I, I think that's you're going to see that as par for the course. Uh, and it really it's a it's something that needs to be granted to the advisor so that the advisor has a legal basis for being authorized to engage in trading in your account. Because that account, you know, regardless if McLean is the advisor to the account, the account is still held in your name as the client. And so if I'm McLean and I tell Schwab, the broker, hey, place this trade in John Smith's account, Schwab is going to say, not so fast. How are you authorized to trade in John Smith's account? It's not McLean's account. It's John Smith's account. And so we have to show Schwab 
the client has granted us a limited power of attorney to trade in that account before Schwab will open up the, the gates and allow us in to, to trade in that account. And again, discretion that's how means it works. that you've mm-hmm. I mean, the, the discretion means that you've given McLean the power to trade in the account without talking to you first. Non discretion means that they run their trade recommendations by you and you have to consent. Okay. Uh, item 17, voting client securities. Again, we have discretion. Let's say we buy Apple. Apple Apple has some sort of board meeting where they want to get rid of Tim Cook for, for something, you know, uh, and we have to vote on it. T- take it away. What happens here? Yeah. So some firms will vote those proxies on your behalf. Some firms will hire a third party to evaluate and vote on those proxies. Some firms won't touch it with a 10-foot pole for whatever reason. They just don't want to be in that business line. Um, but this is going to tell you what that what your firms or your uh, the firm you're evaluating, what their practices are in this respect, whether they have any conflicts associated with proxies because of maybe they have relationships with certain issuers or something like that. Um, but this is going to tell you what they are. Uh, and if they do vote proxies where you can get information on, on like what their proxy voting history has been. So you can evaluate how they voted proxies previously and make sure it's in alignment with what you or how you w- would want those proxies to be voted because ultimately they, you own those securities. Um, and so the client or the advisor rather, you know, should either be voting it under like a set program where they have a plan and it's fully disclosed and they follow that plan for how to vote proxies all the time, or they should be taking your thoughts and opinions and objectives into account when they're voting proxies so that they can kind of express your view through yeah. their proxy votes. The reality is if you're using an advisor, they're, they're, they're not going to, unless some weird circumstance, they're not going to ask you every time there's an issue. They're just, they're just not, it, it, you can't run a business. You know, uh, you know, if you get 500 things to vote on. So I'll, I'll leave it. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it alone at that. And then the last one, which is, I think is an interesting one, just financial information. How do you even know if your advisor is solvent? Right. And it, it the, the answer is that it needs to be disclosed here if they're not solvent. So if they if they have a reasonable basis for believing they're going to be unable to meet their financial commitments to clients, then they would need to disclose that fact here. What, what does that mean? That means I, I don't know whether the lights are going to be on three to six months from now. I, I, I can't in good conscience say that they definitely will be. So I have to put that in writing in, in this section. Um, there's other things that would need to be disclosed here. If you were like maybe the subject of a bankruptcy proceeding or um, uh, if I think if you require prepayment, of $1,200 or more in fees six months or more in advance, then you'd be required to like submit a balance sheet along with your ADV so that people could see what your financial condition is because you're giving them a lot of money you know, a fairly long time in advance. And you gotcha. want to be sure that they're going to be around to fulfill that commitment to you. No, that, that's great. I, I think that's important. And that's a, that's a fair question to ask. Uh, 
that's it. We did it, man. Uh, I, I think this ended up being uh, the third one. I, it's I, like I'll the Lord of the Rings up. of, of yeah, the, right. Uh, and podcast. we're like we're all yeah. jumping on the bed up and down, holding hands, yeah, like, <laughs> like Frodo and whatever Gandalf or whatever. Uh, no, man, I, I I think it was great. Look, we took our time with this simply because there's no way to give it real the you know the the time it, it's an important topic and it just it, it is what it is i, I don't want to go blow through it you know I, I i think over the last three episodes just listening to us go over the adb i mean this is how you become an informed consumer and i get it oh i don't have time to listen to it but this again you spent 30 years building up your wealth it behooves you to figure out you know if i am going to use a professional advisor this is how you know what, what you're getting into in, in a major way other than just, Oh, this is my buddy. He likes the color blue. I like the color blue. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it, it's meant to be, no, no, no. Uh, there's, this, there's this, is the stuff, this is the stuff that the SEC people at the SEC got in a room and said, this is, is what we feel is the most important information for clients that all clients should know. Um, and you know, I think we should look at it. We as consumers should look at it in the same light. I don't agree with everything the SEC does, but but I think there's value in this document. And I I think that um, if they say that you know clients should know about this, then clients should at least take a second to think about this and and look through the documents because there is a lot of important. And again, you feel free to download this. Uh, we'll have it in the show notes. So you can see my client said, so you see what, what something looks like. If you compare them to others, you can use that as a baseline based on this conversation. But other than that, Ryan, I've, I've taken up a ton of your time. I really appreciate it. And, and I, I appreciate and actually congratulate the folks that have listened in because I, I think yeah. this is something that, no, it, it's, it's for their best interest. And so, you know, congratulations on, on showing the commitment, you know, relative to the responsibility that, that this entails. So I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Ryan, any parting thoughts? How people can find out more about you if there's an advisor listening in? Yeah, yeah I like um, this guy, Ryan. <laughs> our RIA Lawyers is our website. We wanted the most kind of common sense uh, firm name and website you could think of. Um, so visit us, RIALawyers.com or shoot me an email, Ryan at RIALawyers.com. Um, and we'll jump on a call. We'll exchange emails, however you want to address things. But, but I'm around and I'm easy to reach if you need to get a hold of me. All right. Thank you, man. Uh, really appreciate it. And, and say hi. Will do. Thank you again for the opportunity to be here. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results. 